This is Stage Right, and I am your host, John Thorne. They say if you die with a handful of friends, you die a rich man. Well, I have several buses full, and I'm very excited to share them all with you. Welcome to Stage Right. I am your host, John Thorne. This is episode 51. So this week is actually the one-year anniversary of our podcast. So for all of you who have listened to us throughout the year, those of you that have shared us, told your friends about us, um, commented on us, emailed us, whatever, thank you so much for taking time to listen to the podcast and uh, for responding and, and all that stuff. So this next year, uh, when we get to season two, we'll have a whole new list of people that will get on the program. Um, a lot of people have sent in requests and different things. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if you had this person or that person? Sometimes those people are not available. Sometimes they don't want to be on a podcast. Sometimes they're busy. I've got a few people that I've tried to get on, but our schedules have just not clicked. So we'll have quite a few uh, new people coming up for season two. And uh, so keep sharing the podcast with your friends. Please tell someone, help us grow it. Uh, this past week, well, actually for a, the last eight weeks or so, I didn't even check my analytics to see how many downloads the show had. But we are well over 10,000 downloads for this first year, which is really good. I appreciate so much you taking time to listen and share and subscribe and like and all that stuff. So Thank you so much. So last week I started this thing with John Schlitt where we started this conversation, Christian music or secular music. And I thought, you know what, before we get too far down the street, I decided I wanted to bring in a pastor to actually comment from a spiritual angle. And so I've got one of my dearest friends in the world, Alan Taylor, who is my go-to guy. Anytime I'm reading a scripture, and I have a thought or an idea, or I want to get someone's take on it, I will phone Alan Taylor. And sometimes we talk for 15 minutes, and sometimes we talk for an hour and a half. It just all depends. He takes all the time in the world, uh, just depending on what we're discussing or whatever. So I thought it would be awesome to get Alan's take, because Alan is a pastor to pastors. So he's not only a husband and a father and a pastor, he's a pastor to pastors. So he has a, a really well-rounded view of secular versus Christian. He'll be here right after this quick word from our sponsor, Hey Rockstar. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services to generate more leads, more exposure, and more revenue for your business or organization. Let Hey Rockstar amplify your awesomeness. Hello. Hey. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing really good. Right on. Okay, I want to jump right in on this thing. What do you think, as a pastor, as a pastor to pastors, when you hear the term secular music versus Christian music, what do you think of? Well, as a a pastor, there's always two two lines that you have to hold on to. One is I have personal opinions for my personal life. Uh, that I can talk to you as a friend or as a brother. Uh, but when as a pastor, you're also representing the church and Christ in, in, in your advice. Right. So that's why in all my conversations, I always have to make that decision. Am I talking to someone as a friend uh, who's looking for my opinion? Or am I talking to someone as a pastor who represents the church and Christ? In that case, it comes down to, you know, in politics and in uh, what uh, you know what I do for my health, I have to be very careful because uh, in representing Christ, you know, they have an old saying that you you have to choose what hill you die on, you know, basically meaning that in the old wars, you know, they'd try to take the highest hill and die and they'd die for that hill. Right. And as a as a man, you really have to choose in life what hill you die on. In other words, what are you going to be known for? Are you going to be known for the, the, the to be a pastor who 
fights for one thing, or, or are you going to be known as a man who represents Christ and dies for the gospel? You know, that that's your stance. And so I always choose to lean towards dying for the gospel, not my own personal opinions. Right. Now, and so when it comes to, you know, your question about secular music and Christian music, I have a very strong opinion about um, in representing the pastor as a, a church, a very strong opinion about you know Christian music being uh, the only one I will present to the church or to people as an option for what what the church says we listen to or use as a tool in the church. Right. You know, and in the past, especially when I was young, I got into a lot of trouble because I was uh, I was much more um, less. Oh, I said I was less. Uh, um, much more opinionated, less, less tact. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I was a youth pastor in Canada, had, you know, the one of the largest youth groups in Canada. And when I was 18, when I started serving God, we had a, a place, uh, in our school where at the graduation, they would have a, uh, um, a, a kegger for the kids. Cause at 18, you could legally drink in Canada. Hmm. And, and so the idea was the school would, instead of the kids driving drunk, the school would bust all the kids to a, a field and provide booze and, and a party for them as a graduation party, then bust them home, uh, safely. That was the idea. Hmm. Well, you know, so I started serving God at 18 and we had a little Christian group in the school. We decided three of us to put together a Christian party okay, and we called it the sun sunshine grad party. And it was meant for kids my age, 18 to go and celebrate graduation without the alcohol, you know? Right. And, and it was a, for Christians, you know, and eventually later on when I became a youth pastor, another group had taken that over and decided to, uh, make it more of a, uh, you know, an outreach yeah. and, and me having the largest youth group, they wanted my youth to come to that. And I remember having a discussion with the youth pastors cause they, they wanted my youth to come and I was, you know, officially able to approve it or not. And I said, well, and they said to me, we are going to play a lot of secular music. And, and I remember at the time I had a, uh, a very opinionated and, and lack, lack of tact and, how I express that opinion about officially I won't, I refuse to let uh, you know, secular music be official stance of our youth group. And, um, and they said, well, it's an outreach. I said, well, if it's an outreach, I'll send my leaders. Cause when it comes to outreach and winning the loss, I'm all for whatever, like, sure. you know, Paul, you know, the apostle Paul even used secular uh poetry and his in winning people over mm. to Christ. And so in winning people over, you know, I have no problem with that. But for, you know, I remember telling him, I said, well, which is it? Is it for the Christian kids or is it an outreach? Because if it's an outreach, I'll send my leaders right. and we'll be glad to support that. But if it's a Christian meeting, I don't agree with the secular music. And I remember it caused such an uproar. I had, I had, uh, I had a one one youth pastor sent me a twelve page letter telling me I wasn't saved, and <laughs> and it was just it would just cause me so much trouble, you know, <laughs> and I didn't realize how much of a split opinion there is out there right. in that manner. So I think in the question, there's so many aspects to that; it's hard to really answer it simply. But uh, so I, I'm splitting it up into: if you're asking me as a pastor representing a church. Uh, I would suggest that you don't use secular music in the church. In the church, uh, yes. In the church or from the pulpit, approve secular music. Right. You know, for, for the people representing Christ. Now, as a man of God, um, I think there's there's openness to, you know, music itself. There, just like, what when we say secular music, what kind of secular music are we talking about? Right. You know? And, uh, is it, you know, uh, romantic music? Is it, uh, uh, what are the words, you know, th there is a, uh, a, a strong belief that, 
and I agree with his belief that what you put into your your mind and your heart, what you listen to and watch affects you and changes the way you think can can change the way you think. And and in all music, music is so amazing and so powerful that even just in music it carries a culture with it where it was birthed at. Right. And and that culture can influence you and therefore it's important that you you're careful you know, what kind of music you listen to, whether it's Christian or secular, you know. Kind of the spirit behind where it came from. I think so. I think there is, I think there's, you know, music has a power over the emotions that you can ride on the music. So if you're having a bad day and you pick the right song and, and, and it can lift up your spirits, as they say, and, and you can ride music uh, into emotional things. But there's, music originates somewhere. It's an art, so it you know it originates somewhere, and and I I believe, and I, I think we've talked about this in the past how how there's songs that originate in the mind of God, right? And uh, and when someone who who spends time with God, he'll give them that song. He'll write songs about himself for us to sing to him, you know, <laughs> and and. Uh, and as a preacher, the same thing. He writes sermons about himself that that we want to get that from God, from His mind. And so there's there's songs now, even in, in Christian music. There, there's worship songs that are amazing. There's old songs. There's new songs that are absolutely amazing and anointed. Then there's a, a ton of like worship songs in church yeah. that are totally off base scripturally and and confusing as uh, doctrinally and they sound good. They, they sound right, but they de- definitely didn't originate from God's mind. Right. They originated in the mind of some person trying to write a, a nice song or a catchy song. And, right. Trendy. And so I even have problems with some of the, the worship music and the wording, I'm, the wording, not the music, yeah, but the wording to a lot of the worship songs that are out there now. Well, I can say I have a problem with how some of it's played as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just speaking the truth, man. Sometimes I go to church and listen to bands, and it sounds like it's a seventh or an eighth grade, you know, marching band from middle school that's just learning how to play their instruments. It's like, guys, go home and learn, and come back in three years, and we'll try this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're. I suppose yeah, you get bothered by <laughs> the music itself by some of the places. <laughs> oh man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know much difference myself. Right. Okay, so I've mentioned this to you before. And I just want to get your thoughts since we're recording. I believe I've, I've had the thought, I don't know if it's a hundred percent accurate or not, but I believe that there's a possibility that all music before the fall, all music was intended to be worship music. So if you take a song, like I want to know what love is by foreigner, uh, because the Bible says God is love. I want to know what love is to me would be interpreted I want to know who God is because God is love. There's no love on this earth outside of God. So when someone's crying out, I want to know what love is. I've always had the feeling, what if they're saying, I really want to know who God is. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I know we, we, we know that uh, Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven and a master of creating music. Mm-hmm. Um for worship and had turned when he turned and birthed sin into himself, uh, he still has the ability to make worship. You know, I, I would agree that in the beginning worship was designed. Uh, well, I don't know, like music was designed. I don't necessarily, I won't, won't say just for worship. I think it could be cause it's so powerful to lift you up and encourage you and, you know, different notes, different, I, I didn't know the right, the, the right terminology, but sure. different sounds affect you emotionally. Yeah, you know, and and I can be watching a movie uh, without music, and and it's boring. But you add music, and I'm I'm getting misty eyed. You know, <laughs> right. and and it adds emotion. Uh, you know, and so I I would say I agree that all worship was designed. Music itself was designed to to focus on. God, I, I would say, I think there is some of it to where um, it could be could have been designed to also encourage and lift people up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, towards God at the time before the fall. Right. Um, uh, so I, I have to, I agree mostly with that statement. Yes. Okay. Well, when I think of music, Alan, it's one of those rare things where it's hard to describe. Like you said, it comes from somewhere. We don't always know where, uh, whether it's our spirit, whether it's our spirit in tune with the spirit of God, it comes from a holy place. It comes from a gift, like a place of gift from the father. But I look at music like I look at life. It'd be like without music, it would be life without color. Yeah, I like that. You know, where you look out the window or you, you walk down the street and there's no color anywhere. That to me would be life without music. I, I like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so your your son Harrison is about the age, he's a teenager, he's about the age I was when music grabbed me by the lapels and shook me and never let me go. So what advice do you give Harrison? He's a really good drummer, and he just got a bass, so now he's taking bass lessons, playing in two different bands at church. What advice do you give him in terms of what music to listen to, what music to learn to, that kind of thing? Okay, so as his dad, I have different instructions as a, than as his pastor. <laughs> and and it's simply because music is important that you like it and you're you're – um, you're especially when at his age because he's just learning right. different sounds. And I, you know, I grew up. I wasn't raised in a Christian church or in a Christian home. I was raised in a, I call it a professional he by professional heathens. You know, <laughs> and because you know our fa- our family was very good at sinning. You know, and so I have roots where I think my sisters. I have sisters who are a little bit older than I were, I was, and. And, uh, and so I think when I was young, they listened to a lot of like Neil Diamond and ABBA and also ACDC. I mean, all those songs I could, I could listen to now and be, and bring me back to those days. And, 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 you know, I'm not afraid of those songs, you know, and that music. And, sure. and so I'm not afraid of secular music as a whole. I am concerned about some, um, some roots of some of the, the culture that comes with some of the bands and the music. Right. But I'm not afraid of music for my son. He he's, you know, he's 16 now and he's, you know, you know him since he's been a baby and, yeah. and, and, and have encouraged him in his, his music. He's just picked up bass and he, you know, he plays good, uh, the drum. Excellent. Yeah. He's a great drummer. <laughs> and, and I've told him as a dad that as far as music, uh, it's important. He's, he's careful which one he chooses to listen to in the wording and in the culture is where my concern is. And, um, but as far as the music itself, I want him to, to learn it and like it and, and, uh, and understand it. Cause he's smart like that. Like he understands and he's picky. Like all that. He's I think he's like, you like, Oh, that's off. That guy's off. That part of the van ruined the whole thing. And, I'm like, man, you know, like I didn't even notice any of it, you know, but he notices the whole thing. And so my advice to him is, you know, he's free to listen to some secular music and, and I try to steer him to, if there's a, a counterpart in Christian, but you know, like in learning music, you know, in playing music, he has to learn music itself, not even the words. Like he has to understand the music part of it and the theory and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking layman's term cause I have no other way of doing it. And, and so, you know, even in school in the band that he's a part of in school, mm-hmm. they play, you know, they played Willy Wonka for the concert band, you know? <laughs> right. And so it's all that's secular. I mean, it's, it, it, and it's a Christian school. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not concerned about that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so I encourage them, you know, like music that's good and that inspires you uh be careful what you allow to be put into you and you do that by the culture it comes from and the words that are that are written in the song and you know i'm not a a great word guy i know i don't i don't think i could sing one full song of any song that i like i kind of hum along and throw in about one line that I know, <laughs> right? you know, I did, I just don't remember. I can't remember the words of any song. I just, I, I enjoy the, the song without the words almost. Right. Me too. <laughs> and, uh, so for him, I encourage him, we, you know, listen to as much Christian music as you can enjoy. And, uh, and, uh, you know, cause like, yep. I'll give you an example. Uh, he goes to a Christian school. 
okay? And and we do yeah. that because that allows him to travel with me when I go and preach and travel. Mm-hmm. And and so in the Christian school, when I met with their 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 leaders, they they asked me some questions as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, my biggest concern of a Christian school is that there's a mixture of uh, standards where the world is allowed to come in and it's not addressed. Mm. And it becomes part of Christianity. Right. And and I'd rather, you know, because any wrong doctrine I can fix at home with him. Like anything I disagree with, maybe what they teach at the school. Right. uh, You know, I can fix at home. That's my job as a dad. Yeah. But one thing I I can't fix is if they say that this type of worldliness is Christianity. Right. You know, and so like I think it's very healthy to separate like this this is a Christian song, this is a secular song. Right. And so the secular song I'm listening to to get get encouraged or romantic or whatever, that's his place in my life uh as a person. Uh and uh, the Christian song has its place. And so to separate them two, to say uh, this has a purpose in the sec- from the, the world for me as a person, you know, I'm not against that. I was as much as it's much better than mixing them together and saying it's all good. Right. You know, yep. and it's all about God, you know, because it's not all about God. And, and you know, like, uh, the, the, there's reasons for music is amazing what it does to people. It was, it's, it's my, uh, you know, when I, when I study, when I pray, I constantly like to have music playing mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and when I'm spending time, uh, just in my day, I always like to have the music going on around me. Sure. You know, and not all the time, personally, not all the time do I have, Christian songs because a lot of Christian songs don't inspire me. Right. You know, I'm I'm you know I'm at the age you might say where, you know, like I someone like someone will say to me this might be embarrassing, but someone someone says all the time, "Have you watched this Christian movie? Have you watched this Christian movie?" And I'm always <laughs> saying, "No, I don't. I do not like Christian movies. Right. I don't because a lot of the Christian movies are designed." to teach you something. Yes. And I'm, I'm old enough to the point where I, I don't learn anything from them. So my purpose of watching a movie is to be entertained. Yeah. And, and to be, you know, to have a couple hours of mindless entertainment and to be thrilled for a moment to watch something. Right. And, and so, you know, just because it's a Christian movie doesn't make it a good movie. Right. <laughs> you know, or even what they teach sometimes is, is off in my view. And so, right. Uh, I, I separate the two for their purpose. And, and we're talking about my son. Uh, he's he's at the age 16. In a couple of years, he's going to listen to whatever he wants to anyway uh, because he'll be out of my house. I won't have any any way of controlling or managing what he listens to. So I raise him to be independent, and, and I want him to make choices now while he's in my house so I can help steer him. Yeah. Uh, because I won't be with him down the road when he has to listen to stuff, you know? Right. And, and so I encourage him to, to branch out. He's in his bass lessons. Uh, oh, I, what was it? It was, um, I can think of it. He went to the bass lessons and, 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 um, the, was it the bass lessons? So he had drum lessons before bass lessons. And anyways, the teacher said, well, you know, is there a, uh, what Christian song do you like? And I think he's, he brought up like, is it living like a prayer? It was a secular song. Oh, living on a prayer. Yeah. Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, Oh, Harrison, you know, <laughs> that's, that's my, my PK kid for sure. Right. Well, I was a PK and the first secular concert I ever wanted to go to it was the Doobie Brothers. Foreigner was opening up for them and it was before Foreigner's first album came out. And I convinced my dad to let me go because the Doobie Brothers sang that song, Jesus is Just All Right with Me. And somehow <laughs> I convinced him that it meant the right thing, even though their name was the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a little hands off with him. I, I've told him that 
I will support him with music, um, but my only direction for him is to serve God with music. Right. And and I have no I I have no uh, desire for him to be in the secular type music. That, that right. Well, I don't think this could be overstated. But you look at the home that you have created with Christy and the environment your kids grow up in. Um, Harrison doesn't have that chaos of secular music that some of these kids listen to this death metal stuff, this crazy heavy metal that's just, you know, just the way out there stuff. Harrison's not ever going to be attracted to that because that's not what's going on in his soul. He's used to that that house that he grew up in where there's peace and there's love and there's acceptance. So that's a good point. Cause you know, there, he's, he's made great choices, right. You know, on his own. And so that's a great point. Like I remember like I'm being up in Canada and, and starting to serve God. And, uh, and the only music around was, you know, we had, uh, Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith, mm-hmm. which I never was, I never enjoyed that music that them too much. Yeah. But Petra, Whiteheart, I loved them mm-hmm. and and listened to their music, you know, and you know, so the church I started off in really encouraged Christian music and, and I appreciate that because I found good music and and but I even branched I remember there was one band called the Res Band, Resurrection oh, yeah. Band, I think. Yeah. And and I think maybe a little harder, but I enjoyed that and there was one band I listened to. It was White Cross. I think there was. I remember yeah. uh, some great guitar solo in one of the songs that I just wore out. Rex Carroll was the guitar player. Yep. Yeah, and and you know, so I I I can say, I would say just with that statement about people being drawn. I think that's great. Uh, people are drawn to the type of music that reflects what's going on within their own emotions. Yeah, and and so that's a great case for Christian music in that realm. Like someone, you know, like even if you have a, uh, it's the music that's a drawing them. Right. And, and, and so if you have a, maybe a Christian as an outreach, a Christian hard band that is drawn kids who go to, at least they're getting some good messages, right. You know, and, and maybe find Christ within their, their searching you know, for through their brokenness. Right. Absolutely. All right, bud. Well, listen, Alan, I love you. There is no one in the world that I respect more and love more than I love you and respect you. I appreciate you taking the time today to be part of the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate what you're doing, John. I love you, buddy. I love you too. I will talk to you soon. Okay. You bet. Okay. So the next call is my really, really good friend, Jay Wilkinson. Jay is toured with country artists, Christian artists, pop artists, and uh, Jay Wilkinson. There we are. Cool. Hey, Jay, if you got a few minutes, I got a few questions I want to run by you. But first, are you doing good today? Doing all right. All right. Let's dive in. So I know you grew up in youth group in Florida. So when I say secular music versus Christian music, what do you think? When you hear secular music, Christian music, those labels, what do you think? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off real quick and just interject this. To me, there are two genres of music. There's good and there's bad. That's right. <laughs> I concur completely. Those are always subjective uh, standards. So somebody's, uh, somebody else's good or bad may be completely different. But, um, All right, but not necessarily better. Okay, so I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I want you to tell me your top three Christian albums of all time, your top three favorite albums because of their greatness. Uh, one is going to be, well, I'll start it. Okay, let me stop you, and I'm going to tell you the first one is going to be Amy Grant, Lead Me On. Yep, that's one of them. That, that's number one. Okay, then probably Whiteheart Freedom. That's a really, really close number two, and uh, depending on the day, it may be number one, but th- those are one and two for me, and, and interestingly enough, they're both from the same year, 1988, and uh, the same the same production team, Brown, Brown Bannister, did those records. That was a really good year for Brown. It was. It really was. (laughs) All right, Jay. So in your expert opinion, since we are going down the good and the bad music list instead of Christian secular, why were those albums so good? 
I think the first thing is they've just got great songs. If you don't have great songs, then your foundation is is non-existent to begin with. Absolutely. Um, you you can always take great songs and 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 make them make a bad product, put put out a bad record with bad production or bad performances or arrangements or whatever, but you, you really can't go the other way around, take subpar songs and make a great record. Right. Um, so I think that's one, one thing. The second thing is when you listen to those records, I mean, we're, we're, we're on what, 33 years later on those two <laughs> yes. records and they still stand up both artistically, lyrically, musically. Uh, they don't sound dated. Nope. There's nothing wrong with having something, Hey, this is what's going on right now. But there's nothing about those records when you put them on now that you go, this could this could have been made last week. Right. Well, it's amazing, Jay, because those were made in the late 80s where there was dated drum sounds, where there was dated keyboard sounds, there was dated vocal effects, and neither one of those albums had any of that stuff on them. They really didn't. Um, the uh, A lot of the 80s synthesizer stuff, you know, all the European stuff, that was more mid-stuff, more, more mid-80s. Later on, uh, and I'm thinking in terms of keyboards, I mean, the, the DX7 was, was 83, the, the D50 and the M1 were 87, 88. But, but those records didn't use, hey, here's the new cool preset on the, the latest keyboard that just came out that you're going to hear on every record now. Um, they, they just used timeless sounds. They were recorded well. Um, I'm not sure who recorded those. I'm sure I could probably throw out a couple of names of engineers that you and I both know that probably worked on both of those records. Sure. But but I think that's that's part of it. And and again, artistically, they were they were saying something. They they were they were saying something that that was whether whether on their hearts or whether uh, something that needed to be said at the time. You know, it, it, it depend on depending on the song you've got in there. I mean, I think one of the best songs in that Amy Grant project is is uh, what about the love? And it's really a, a it's a wonderful song about. Um, it, it takes you on a journey, but it gets real introspective at the end, and, and, it, and it, it forces the, the listener to look at themselves. Right, for sure. Okay, before we move on, I want to get your third favorite CCM album of all time. Uh, there's there's so many good choices. I mean, the, the, the handful that come to mind, I, I can just name off probably half a dozen of them. Um, Petra Beyond Belief is a wonderful record. Yep. Uh, Michael W., and big picture, there's there's nothing that's big picture was '86. There's nothing that sounds like that, secular or Christian anywhere. That's a wonderful record. Yeah. Uh, he's had oh, he's had tons of great records. Uh, Live the life is a great Michael W. record. Oh my gosh, that's probably my favorite Michael W. song ever. Yes, that's a great record. It was the it was one of the last ones I know they recorded on that old Trident 80B that he had in there. Yeah. But uh, those are great. Um, uh, DC Talk. Uh, there, there are several choices from them, but uh, I think of the Supernatural records fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, Russ Taff, Russ Taff. I know you you were a Russ Taff fan before then. I didn't really get into Russ Taff until Metals, but the 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 the, the, the self titled you know the Gray album cover that's fantastic. That's my number one all time favorite Christian album. It's 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 incredible. I mean it's it's uh it's just it's just good. I mean what a singer, what a, what an artist. Uh, Imperials this year's model, and I'm, and I'm referencing all these things from from my high school and college age, but but th those were some great records, great records. Yeah, this year's model is, gosh, probably in my top five, maybe uh, for sure top ten, but probably top five all time albums. Okay, so let's shift over to your top three secular albums. Give me the greatest three secular albums in your opinion. Oh gosh, the, the list as well. Um, I'm going to start with. I, I, I've got to throw out two of my favorites, uh, two favorite artists. Uh, we'll, we'll go with, with you know, U2 and, and Pink Floyd. I know those are. I know you're a big Floyd fan. I don't know how mm -hmm. huge of a U2 fan you are, but the U2 and Floyd. Yeah, I love David Gilmour and Pink Floyd. Uh, love U2, but they're not on Pink Floyd's level in my mind. You know, but for for U2. Um, there, to me, there are three of them, and, and, and a lot of people won't won't agree on the third one. The, the, the first two are Joshua Tree and Octane Baby, and for me, the third one is Pop. And I know that makes m many many YouTube fans cringe, but it's a wonderful record. Uh, Pink Floyd, I mean, I mean, same thing. Obviously, you've got Dark Side of the Moon, uh, The Wall, um, Momentary Lapse. Even Division Bell was a wonderful record. The Division Bell for me is the best studio album Pink Floyd ever did, in my opinion. Now, I will say, if we're talking Pulse, 
where they do Dark Side of the Moon start to finish. Yes. Live. I love Pulse, but Division Bell does it for me. Division Bell is a really good record. You know, it's funny because how many times have we had this conversation staying up all night talking about this? Many, many, <laughs> many a night, many a night on the bus. Yep. And uh, I, I had the pleasure of seeing them in, at Vanderbilt in 94 on, on that tour, which was which was fantastic. Dude, it's the best concert I've ever seen, not even close. Amazing show, amazing tour. Okay, so before we move on, go ahead and share your Guy Pratt story <laughs> from YouTube. I was going to say, I put up a put up something. Uh, Guy Pratt, the the bass player who you know took over Roger's chair after Roger left or was dismissed, depending on who you ask. <laughs> he, um, he he over this when in the last last year he put out a series of these these videos on YouTube. He put one out once a week of, of things he'd played on and everything from Pink Floyd stuff to Madonna to to the. Uh, 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 why am I drawing a blank? Toy Matinee Project, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And I and I, uh, you know, I made a comment on one of the videos, just talking about something, and and you know, he he responded to it, and I got this email from YouTube, you know, and it said Guy Pratt loves your comment, and I kind of screen grabbed that. I'm going, <laughs> ah, that's a pretty cool thing. So, um, wonderful bass player. He's a great bass player, and he played on some of the biggest, yes, and best tours ever, including the Division Belt tour that we're talking about. Yes, Division Two, which made the Pulse. Uh, live double disc yes right all right so let's move on so you've got the church and you've got people that love christian music because it speaks to them it encourages them um it reinforces their faith they believe in it but there seems to be a disconnect between musicians who want to listen to the best music and sometimes christians who think that no matter how bad or good the music is you should support and listen to Christian music. Where do you think those motivations or those conclusions come from? You know, I think some of it can get into, I think some of it can get into people thinking, oh, this is what I should listen to, or this is what I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure where to go, how other people think. I can tell you how, how I look at it. I, I just like listening to great music. And there are, there are artists that are Christians that aren't putting out quote Christian music on, you know, a Christian label. Right. Um, and some of the, some of that stuff is, is, um, religious, uh, lyrically based. Some of it isn't. And, but I think I've never really enjoyed the, the route of, Oh, I've got to listen to this or this is, this has to be, this has to be uh, a Christian album or a Christian artist or a Christian label to, 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 to make something good. I, I just, I just don't know a lot of people like that. I'm, I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know a lot of folks like that. Everybody I know, whether it's musicians in the music industry that I work with, or just, just people in general, most of them just enjoy listening to good music. Right. Well, no one wishes that everybody that was in Christian music was theologically sound. Like I wish everybody was, and that they wrote the best music and they were the best musicians and they had the best voices and the stuff that came out of Christian music was the best. But I would be lying if I said it was because a lot of people have this uh, assumption that because you're a Christian artist, for some reason you've won a spiritual achievement award and that everything you say is true and everything you say you live and believe for yourself. And sometimes... They, they would. <laughs> Sometimes I think what gets lost is they're just flawed people like some of the pastors out there. I stumped the band. I see you stumped the band. Yeah, you know, there, there are there are some people that, that, that you're right. There is a, uh, what did you call it? A, a, not, you didn't call it hero worship. You called it a... Spiritual Achievement Award. Yeah, Spiritual Achievement Award. There There is some of that, I think. And I remember that growing up, there was like, oh, well, this is... So and so is singing this song, so therefore, what 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 they're saying in it must be truth, and this is this is, and therefore, it must be good art. Right. And there was a great. Uh, you remember CCM magazine? Oh yeah. <laughs> At the end of it, there was always a, a, a column, and it was it was it was um, it was if, if it could have been a newspaper, it'd have been like an op-ed piece. Right. And there was there was a great one in there. This is about eighty-seven, eighty-eight. I forget, I don't know who wrote it, but who maybe maybe they're listening. But there was a wonderful column. It. It said it was called, "But Can You Paint?" <laughs> and, it, and it was referring to 
talking about Christians want to, you know, go and here's our Christian music in our own little small club thing versus just music in general, but just saying this is good because it's Christian and they're saying nice things versus this is good art. And it came down to the, 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 the headline of the article, the, the title of the article was referencing when you hire someone to come and paint your house. Right. And it just said that, you know, yeah, it's great to hire someone from the church that has a painting company, but the first question is, can you paint? Right. Right. It's not, are you a good guy? Are you, are you nice? Are you, do you, do you need a gig? It's, are you qualified to do this job? Right. And, and again, with art, it's all subjective, but, but um, if, if you start going down the road of letting, of letting the, the, the end product of, of in this case, music be secondary to whether it's quality, right. then that that's kind of a it's kind of a weird place because if, if if what you're listening to you don't like then I, why are you listening to it? Right. Well, it's funny because the last time I saw you, I think it was the last time, anyways. You and I were hanging out at John Schlitt's house. We were. We were. We were stopped by his place. It was wonderful. And John got talking about you know, head east and writing songs and stuff, and he he actually said that. He and Bob used to fly into cities ahead of time, a couple of weeks ahead of time before a tour and meet with youth pastors and pastors to try to convince them that Petra was a good thing, that taking your youth groups to the Petra concert was a good thing. And they literally had to sell themselves as people to get crowds to show up to listen to the music. That, that's exactly right. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because the when I was in, in youth group in, in St. Pete, Florida, there's one day our, our our senior pastor comes in. You know, he's guys guys in his fifties probably at the time. Right. Comes in and says, "Hey, met some guys today. You you you'd have loved to have met them." And I'm going, ah, who, "Who do you meet? Whatever. You know, did you meet Billy Graham? Whatever. Who do you meet?" And uh, <laughs> and he says, "I met John Schlitt and Bob Hartman." Right. And we go, "How did you meet those guys? You know, we're, we're in high school. Those guys were our, our some of our musical heroes." Yeah. And he explained what you just said. And and. How that they and you know of course ten years later when I'm working for John he's he's telling me the same thing you just mentioned that they weren't going out in the '80s to promote their record with promotional tours with the the, the radio stations they were going out and promoting the the product the CCM industry saying hey it's okay to bring your kids here here's the stuff we're talking about here's here's what we're doing because there were, there were some clowns out there at the time some of the TV preachers that were adamant against this stuff. Right. You know, you know, CCM is going to send you to hell, that kind of stuff. I mean, they were okay with, with womanizing and, 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 and embezzlement, right. but you know, <laughs> CCM music was a problem, and, right. which is, which is of course, I mean, those, some of those guys were charlatans, but, but, but they were fighting that. So that was something that, that those guys had to do back then. And, and not only that, Jay, back then there were no drums in church. Like very few churches had drums on the, on the stage. No, I grew up in a Baptist church and we, it was, it was a very um, a modern, it was Southern Baptist church, but you know, there was, you know, piano side in the right organ side on the left kind of thing. Yeah. And, and we had, we had drums and guitars and keyboards for the Saturday night service, what they called the contemporary service. You know, they didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't during Sunday morning church. Right. Um, just like back then the radio stations, the CCM radio stations, they didn't have, you know, like, a, I mean, you can like this, like, or dislike way FM. They didn't have, they didn't have a way FM or anything like that in, in places. There, no. there was, Hey, from Saturday, from, you know, two to five in the afternoon, we're going to play the CCM stuff after that at five Oh one, it goes back to, yeah. you know, gospel and, and, and inspo AC inspo stuff, or, or they'd play it like at two in the morning when, you know, none of their donors were listening. All right. Well, <laughs> let's, let's hit on why, because the older listeners were the ones with the money. So if they were going to give money to the radio station, they demanded the radio station play what they wanted to hear. I, some of some of it probably is that some of it's just a business thing. Okay, this, this is this is our this is our listener base. They're not gonna they're not gonna like this stuff, or in some cases they'd be adamantly against it. Um, and in some cases, I'm sure there were there were at some point there obviously became donors and radio stations that said, "Hey, this is great. This isn't our kind of music." But this is the music that, that the the generation younger than us is listening to. Let's put this out. So that 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 tide started to change in the late '80s and early '90s, um, which was a good thing. Um, and then at some point it became, you know, I've joked with you about this. When you're on a country tour, they would jokingly say, "We play both styles of music as though there are only two kinds, and that's country and western." <laughs> 
And, and, you know, throughout the eighties and nineties with CCM, I mean, yeah, there were some acts that were, that were, I mean, we all remember stuff that, Hey, here, here's the Christian version of Phil Collins or here, you know, whatever, which I, I, I thought I was silly because there's already a Phil Collins. He's really good. So do something else. Yeah. Right. But there, there wasn't a ton of that, but there was some of it, but, but, but in general, you had, you had such a wide variety of, I mean, think about, think about you had the same audience was going to a DC talk show as was going to a striper show as was going to a newsboys show and a for him concert. There were completely different styles of music, but the one common theme was the, was the lyrics and the, 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 in theory, the message behind them. And, sure. but you had, you had an incredible diversity of music was incredible in the Christian genre. It was, it was the one genre that, that, that had that. Right. Okay. So tell everyone, I know what you're going to say. So tell everyone the uh, Christian version of country and Western. The church has two kinds of music as well. Now the church, as, as of 20 years ago, the church, they, they will tell you, we play both kinds of music because there are only two kinds and those are praise and worship as those are two genres. And it's, right. and, and you've, and you've lost the, I mean, you, you, all those records I mentioned, you know, the Russ Taft, the White Heart Freedom, the, the Michael W. Uh, uh, Live the Life, all those, those records don't get made today. No, they don't. Those records aren't being made today. And, and, I, and I think there are probably artists out there that could make great records like that. And, I, and I, don't, I don't know. I'm not here to point fingers. I don't know if it's a record label thing saying, hey, we're not going to put this out. I don't know if it's the buyers saying we're not doing it. I don't know if it's artists saying, hey, no one's buying this stuff, so we're not going to make it. But there's 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 really become a – and this isn't a – I don't like going the route of, oh, there's nothing good being made today. There's some great music being made today in Christian music. But the, but so much of it sounds really similar, and it's mm-hmm. – you know here, here's our same four chords we're going to play over again, and here's – Right. Sadly, not enough musical excellence for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the, the keyboard players either playing something, you know, some lick off a Coldplay record, or the guitar players trying to sound like The Edge, and – and um, yeah, and, and and of course the singers, you know, twenty two years old wears skinny jeans and, and looks like the hipster from the coffee shop, which is nothing wrong with any of those things inherently. But I sure I, I, I just you'd like to see some more maturity and depth, <laughs> wisdom and some rings around the tree, if you want to say it. I mean, I mean I'm in my late forties and I still love it when I get to hear someone speak who's older than me because I'm going, okay, this guy's got twenty years more miles than me. Let's listen up. Sure, sure. Well, it's it's kind of like a sports team with no coaches. It's like the gatekeepers, Jay, have uh, all been removed. The gatekeepers being gone is a it's all it's like anything else. It, there's a yin and a yang to it. The, the good thing is, uh, I tell people, the great thing is now the gatekeepers are gone. Anyone can make a record. That's good. Yeah. And the bad thing is the gatekeepers are gone. Anyone can make a record. <laughs> and, exactly. And it's 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 kind of a so, well, which is it? Well, it's both. I mean, because um, it is wonderful that great artists can make stuff, but it's also you're going, okay, why, why are you putting this out? This is, you know, if, if, if it was rock and roll, it'd be like, hey, we're going to put out a cover album of Sweet Home Alabama, Boston, uh, More Than a Feeling, and a, a Kansas song and some crappy construction rock song from the 80s. Right. And that have all been covered like 30 times, but we're going to do a 31st cover and it's really going to matter. And that's what. Some of these these artists are here. Let, let's let's put out "Shout to the Lord" again. It's a great song, but it's been recorded by you know, numerous artists many times, and it's really kind of the same every time it's recorded. So we don't really need a thirty first version of "Shout to the Lord." Right. Exactly. Now it's easy. That's why I think everybody does it because it's much easier than writing great songs. Well, it's, it's it's what you can do if you can't write songs. Sure. Sure. Right. And again, there there are reasons to do covers. I mean, uh, the thirty first reason isn't usually one of them, but but there there are. I think there are two three reasons to do covers, but very rarely do I hear them done. Right, right. How about doing it only if you can do it better? <laughs> yeah, I think you do a cover if if it's a, a completely different take on. Hey, we're a reggae band and we're going to do a cover of a Kiss song. Okay, that's kind of interesting if you're into reggae, whatever. But that's one reason. Another reason would be if if man the, the production they put this thing out was 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 really dated and said we're going to try to make it play, play like we'd play it today okay right and the third one is just hey we're going to cover a song the way we think the beatles would have recorded it today sure other than that if you're just doing doing a song that's oh this is popular i can i can go and do this and get you know get a bunch of youtube hits and, and a bunch of followers whatever 
I'm not sure how that even monetizes half the time, but but that's not really artistry. No, no, it's karaoke. I mean, literally, it is karaoke, and I cannot believe how many people have made a living singing other people's songs with no shame. And I'm not talking about uh, a songwriter writes a song and you make it a hit. Yes. I'm talking about songs that other people made popular and you just do a version of it and get money. Simple House record, yes. Okay, so I remember when I was on the road with Margaret, she was writing songs and recording with Charlie Peacock for the Simple House record. And she would come to the bus and Charlie would have told her, okay, you need to go rewrite the lyrics to this song. They're good, but they're not great. And this went on for weeks and weeks. She would go home write new lyrics, go back in the studio. He would tell her to go home and write new lyrics, keep working, keep working. They're good, but they're not great. And she literally for weeks and weeks would write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite until finally he was happy. And that album turned out phenomenal. And it's because Charlie pushed Margaret to make those songs as great as they ended up. It's a great record. That's her best record. And, and, and it was a good show. I actually saw you on that tour. We, we've already <laughs> talked about that, but yeah, sure. It, it, it was, but you, you, you're right. There is a there is a process where that happens, and I think with creating things, there are sometimes you create something and it's amazing. Boom, off the bat. Yep. A lot of times it needs refinement. Yep. And you know, refinement takes time, and you know, yes, it does. To, to refine things with time takes money, and 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 all that. It also takes having people in the room that are great at what they do. And yep. I mean, it used to be that that you know you didn't produce records until you were in your 30s or 40s, and there's some great young producers. That's not take take away from any of that, but yeah, it was usually someone that had had some experience and miles and 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 a, a deep well to draw from. And yep, um, so I think it's important to do what you're just saying is to just to refine and keep working. At the same time, we've all worked on projects too where you're going, okay, we could spend the next two months on this, and it's it's not going to be any good because the songs aren't there. Right. Um, every, every record is not going to be Led Zeppelin Four or Sgt. Pepper's or, or you know, REM, you know, pick your, pick your you know, automatic for the people, whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be that. Right. Well, with Charlie Peacock, use him as an example. He was a gatekeeper that knew where to dig for gold. You had multiple gatekeepers. So you had, you had a producer that, you know, someone like Charlie's not going to put their name on a project that's not, that's not a, that's not something that he thinks up, is up to up to quality control. Sure. And then from there, you've got a label, and you know, p- labels get a hard bad. You know, I got no beef with labels. So I mean, I've got beef with some folks at labels. There's, there's, I've got no inherent beef with labels, and I don't think people really should. But the labels are a gatekeeper too. Hey, we're stroking the checks for 150 grand to make this product. Sure. We want it to be great. Right. Well, you got Charlie saying this can be better. This can be better. But it's because he knew what better was. And knew it could be better. knew knew what better was, and knew he knew what better was, and he knew that the the artist and the writer he was dealing with in that case had it in them. Right. But it but it took both of those. He knew what better was, and he and he knew that there was something more there. Yes. Um, the 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 sad part is when 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 there's something more there, and the producer doesn't have the experience or the knowledge or the wisdom, whatever word you want for it to know, Hey, this is, this is a good solid B plus, but man, this can be an A, yeah. this can be an A plus. Yeah. Um, that's when you, when you get project projects that come up short, you're going, ah, oh, that was close. Right. Ah, that's a nice idea. It didn't develop as much as it should have. Those are the projects that are, that are frustrating to hear because you're going, there could have been so much more here. Right. All right. Let me get your thoughts on this, Jay. So we have the selfie crowd where everybody that leads worship or everybody that sings at the Holiday Inn, they put their coolest performing pictures on their Facebook pages and stuff. Um, I've got so much footage of us on the road, tour rehearsals, production rehearsals, live gigs. We're in Whataburger. We're on the bus. We're in the convenience stores. We're all over the place. And it's inevitable Somebody will look at the camera and say, you've got that stupid thing in here again. Get that thing out of here. So I want your thoughts on this. What was responsible for the shift where it was, we're doing this because we're good at it and we love it and we don't want anyone to know what we're doing to now everybody wants everyone to know what they're doing and they want them to think it's even cooler than it really is. And they're taking selfies and posting all this stuff even as worship leaders, to draw attention to themselves. How do you 
think we got where we are now? You know, there's a couple of things, and, and this gets back to what we were saying with whose fault is this? Is this the artist, the labels, the the end user? Well, it's, it's, it's all of them at the same time. It's none of them. It's part of its own machine. I, I'm not sure, but I'll tell you one thing that hasn't helped. Um, and this isn't let's go let's go find someone and vilify them and scapegoat them. Uh, but but just the American Idol mentality, and I'm I'm using that as a as a common noun rather than necessarily referencing the TV show specifically. But yes, just that mentality of you're going to go from you know some 20 year old kid being being you know one day working at a, at a coffee shop and three to three week, three months later you're on top of the world um and that isn't to say there haven't been some great artists that have come out of there i mean there, i mean i think carrie underwood's a great artist a fantastic singer and yeah um kelly clarkson great you know there's a handful of us that's not to 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 pick on any of that but just the mentality of this is how this works now those two artists i referenced just right there have busted their butts work and recording and whatever they, they've built careers not just a yes a one-shot deal um, but, but just that mentality of this is how this works. I'm so good. Someone's discovered me and suddenly I'm going to be important. I mean, that would be the equivalent of walking into like Vanderbilt. I'm, I'm in Nashville, Vanderbilt university, Lipscomb, Belmont. Anyway, that'd be the equivalent of walking into one at the like Vanderbilt business school and going to like the senior seminar or for, you know, for the, for the MBA program and having a show of hands. Hey, who here? at 22 years old expects within three months to be CEO, have a corner office, a company car, an expense account out the wazoo and, and make, make a quarter million dollars a year, you know, with, with working, you know, we're taking, taking up, taking a week off every month. Right. Every kid in that seminar, as much as they'd love that, they'd laugh. They go, that's not going to happen. Right. They know that's not how that works. Well, maybe some of them would think they deserve it or think it's going to happen for them. But any 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 of them with any kind of objectivity yeah. who'd been who'd been raised right would go, um, that'd be great, but that's not how this is going to work. Well, here's how I think I see it. I think you will probably agree with me that with or without American Idol, Carrie Underwood and Kelly Clarkson would have been discovered eventually because they had the yes. talent to have a sustained career over time. Yes. Carrie would have ended up moving to Nashville like Garth Brooks did from Oklahoma. Um, I think they would have been discovered anyways. It wouldn't have been as fast. I, I, I agree on both counts. That yep. whole microwave career thing that you just pop a bag in the microwave and and you pull out a career, it just it's nauseating to me because what what you do is you skip so many steps to becoming great. When I was in truth, Jay, and we were playing three hundred and forty concerts a year, we literally worked our butt off. Like it was okay, I'm going to sleep when I'm out of truth. Like, I will not get any sleep while I'm here. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Yeah, and it's, and it's one of those things that we, we talked about this last time we spoke um, on, on a previous podcast you had uh, about um, the For Him guys, which, you know, you toured with them, I toured with them later, but you were with them in truth. Yeah. And when they did their first show as, as For Him and made their first record, yeah. <laughs> that 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 wasn't their first show. That was their twelve hundredth show. Yes, and they were they were seasoned pros. And um, I mean, that would be the equivalent of finding a a really great, you know, five star running back at the high school level who's physically developed and is great. And saying, okay, you're going to go play Sunday with the Bears. Right. No, no, you you've got to you got to play high school ball for a couple of years, and then you got to play college ball for four years or three years, whatever you know, however long you're going to be there to get up to that point of where you're ready for this, you're going to be ready for this. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the microwave, I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. The microwave, um, idea that this is how things happens. This is how things happen. Isn't really, re isn't realistic. Um, no. and, and we all know that, that cooking, <laughs> cooking in the crock pot produces and, you know, cooking, uh, you, you get what I mean. You, 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 you simmer something for a long time versus pop it in the microwave. It's, it's going to be better anyway. Always going to be better with time. And it's always good that we could close out with some cooking tips from me. Yes. <laughs> my favorite my favorite thing about you, Jay, is you cook like one thing. I about four or five, but I cook them really well. <laughs> wow, you're up to four or five things. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, I'm up to four or five, but, but I, I do a good job with all of them. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad you've broadened your culinary skills. That that makes me very happy. Okay, last thing, Jay. I'll get you out of here on this. So you archive 
new albums that Warner Brothers records and releases. Tell everyone what it's like to get an album yes. that no one has heard and you get to listen to it as you archive it. I do. And you don't know if it's going to be a hit. You don't know there's going to be 10 hits on it. Tell everyone what that's like. You know, it's really a cool thing. It's it's an honor. Well, for, for one, I'll, I'll say anyone listening to doing this, it's a, um, we used to call it the inner sanctum on the road. It was things that, you know, stay, happen there, stay there. I don't mean nefarious activity. Just, you know, when you say things in confidence to people, that's where they stay. Right. Um, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, when UPS guy shows up and, hey, there's a Blake Shelton project, or there's a, there's a, you know, Faith Hill project that isn't out yet. Um, they trust me to know that these things aren't going to get out. It isn't like before, uh, what are you going to do this year? I could put this thing up, I could put an MP3 of this up, and the whole project would be out in, in an hour. Right. Um, so they trust you, and that's a, that's a long-term relationship and professionalism. But, you know, to, 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 to your question, it's really cool. I mean, there, there are some things that come in, you're going, eh, not my kind of stuff. I mean, nothing comes in. I can't think of a project of archive where a label's funded it that's been, okay, this is atrocious. Right. I mean, there are things I don't like. There are things like, ah, I'd have done this differently, but there's nothing bad because as you said, there's some gatekeepers. You've got a, you've got a, you know, a Dan Huff making a record. You've got guys like that making records that are, that are, that are top class to what they do. And you've got experienced A&R guys and label heads that, that, that know what's going to work and what isn't. Um, but it is cool to hear some of that stuff. And it's occasionally you get something that comes in that's just awesome. And you've, when you, when I've got these, these sessions, they're all close, of course, multi-tracks. So you can you can solo things up. There was one I did a couple of years ago that uh, Steven Tyler sat in on. I don't know who it was. It was, it was a country artist, and he he was a you know a guest vocalist on one of the numbers. You know, it'd be like a you know such and such featuring Steven Tyler, one of those kind right. of things. And you know, you're just sitting there and you hit that solo button, and there's Steven Tyler's voice by itself, and you just get to hear that stuff. It's like wow, this is really great. He sounds just as amazing as he does you know when he's. When, when you when you've heard the stuff you've heard for 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 years and decades, yeah. uh, so getting to hear that kind of stuff and see that kind of stuff is cool, um, and and it is neat because you know some of these projects you'll get when once they're out. Some of these projects I'll get when hey this is going to be out in a month, and you're okay. Well, this is this is where this is going, you know, stylistically, and this is where this artist is moving in this direction, and it's really cool to hear. Right. Okay, I lied, Jay. One more question. Go ahead. We're good. Okay. So do you ever listen to the songs as you archive the albums and then go back and see if you were right on this one sounds like a hit, this one doesn't? Uh, do you ever keep track of that stuff? You know, um, I, I don't follow like, you know, charts. I don't I don't go and get the, the Billboard magazine every week or anything to tell that. At the same time, there's certain songs you hear them and you go, oh, man, that's going to be huge. Whether it's whether it's an amazing lyric or song or wow, that's going to be one of those songs they play at weddings for 10 years, or sometimes it's, you know, that's just a fun song that's going to be like something you'd see at a Shania concert. Again, I'm right. dating myself 20 years ago, but, <laughs> but this is just a fun sing along, you know, kind of song. It's, it's like the, um, it's like the Taylor Swift song, you know, the we're never getting back together again. I mean, that's going to be like the, the high school girls theme song for their jerk boyfriend for the next 20 years. Right. <laughs> um, in, in the same way that the uh, you know Jesse's girl Rick Springfield is is the cattle rustler song for the guy that steals the girlfriend forever, you know it's it's kind of one of those songs you go on. This is touching on something that either no one has articulated or no one has art, no one has articulated as artfully or as as humorously or, or in a relatable way. And and when when you hear stuff like that, it's it's usually pretty obvious if if this if it's, it's able if it's able to get out onto to radio into streaming and, and get some traction, you know, this is, this is going to be huge because it, it connects with people. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Um, uh, so many musicians do dwell on the music side of, of music, which is important. Yeah. Um, Cause without a good, you know, good beat, good melody and good arrangements, it's just, it's just poetry essentially, <laughs> but go the other way around without good lyrics, without telling a story. That's one thing, you know, like or dislike country music, that's one thing. Country music tells stories. Right. Um, country music tells stories that are relatable to their audience and that, that they find ways to connect with people. And that's why it's become – that's one of the reasons it's become so successful. And Because when we were growing up, country was like, oh, that's kind of like with the rednecks and the country folks, and that's its own thing. It was a niche thing. 
it was, it was very much a niche thing. Whereas now it's not niche at all. No, nope. It's become classic rock. I mean, it's Southern rock. It is. I mean, and, and, and again, you've got people that'll say that, oh, country should sound like, you know, George Strait and Garth Brooks, which those are great artists. And then you'll have people saying, oh, country should sound like, you know, uh, you know, Florida Georgia Line. And, and, and I think that that um, I think the country genre is big enough to where it can it can handle both of those and, and, and needs both of those. Right. All right, dude. I appreciate you taking time to do this today. Well, John, good talking as always. And uh, we will uh, we will talk soon. Take care, my friends. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services for your church to generate more interest, create more exposure, and reach more people. Let Hey Rockstar amplify the awesomeness of your ministry. And, as always, Hey Rockstar is a proud sponsor of the Stage Right with John Thorne podcast. My thanks to you for listening today. Thank you, Hey Rockstar. Thank you, Alan Taylor and Jay Wilkinson, for being my guests today. Next Friday, we continue our discussion on Christian music and secular music. Have a great week, everybody.